0: You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions, or even the answers, are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well,
1: good afternoon, and welcome to another round of Snarky Vade the Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. How the heck is everyone's week doing? I mean, really, I'm really wanting to check in. How are you doing? And when I ask this, I'm not simply saying this rhetorically. I'm actually going to sit here and pause for a moment and let you respond. So how are you doing? So to some of you, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that's going on with you. And for others, oh my gosh, (laughs) that sounds awesome. I'm glad you're having a great week. And so as we jump into this show right now, we have to have our rundown of Christian Crazy of the week before we get to our juicy meal. We, we're gonna have the entree that will be served to us very shortly, but we need our appetizers to kind of weten our palates. And the first one, loved it, loved it. This comes from the religious uh religion news service. And so let me say, Christianity. I'm sorry, wait. American Christianity, you're so adorable. You're so adorable. I just wanna pinch your cheeks. Not really. But it's an article entitled Why Christian... This is, The article title itself will tell you exactly what I'm going to talk about in this. Why uh, Christian Groups ask Netflix to Pull 13 Reasons Why After Teen Suicides. So, if those of you that don't know, 13 Reasons Why was a book and also a Netflix series that uh, chronicled a troubled girl who commits suicide and then leaves 13 tapes to kind of speak out to all the people that had a hand in her uh, deciding to enter life. And um, so what's happening is a conservative Christian organization is calling to Netflix to pull 13 Reasons Why. Yes. And let's not mention the fact that they're calling this out right now after... 13 Reasons Why premiered on Netflix. You know when? March 31st, 2017. So it's taken them over a year to have this outrage simmering. And the thing that I love generally about Christian outrage in the news comes from this thing is they're always like a day late and a dollar short or a year late and a dollar short into how they're doing this because that's how especially when we're talking about evangelicals or conservative Christians they're so out of the nebulous of normal news and normal culture that once they discover it it's kind of like they've discovered it for the first time and no one else knew it existed oh my What is this? 13 Reasons Why? Have you heard about this? Oh, oh, this is bad. We should take it off the air. I can't But Yes, we should take it off the air after it's already hit its peak streaming a year ago. A year ago. And so their quote goes like this. This is not a partisan issue. This is not a conservative issue, but it's an issue of what we're putting in front of our teens, says Walker... Wildman, assistant to the American Family Association. And again, let's go ahead and lay this one out. The American Family Association is based out of, you want to guess? It's based out of Mississippi, Tupelo, Mississippi. Oh, it's the, it is the heart, the epicenter of culture in the world. Yes, it's also known for a wonderful place for scholarship and free thoughts and forward thinking and... What? For that matter? Yeah. And so they're going after this. They have 30,000 signatures for people that have never watched the show, have no idea what it's about, and they're calling for Netflix to pull this down. But the reason I bring this up, not... Well, actually, mainly it's because of their own stupidity, but when I begin to hear stuff like this, I'm like, really? Like, if you guys were actually engaged in real life and engaged in culture, you'd know this was a thing back when it was a thing. And right now, it's not a thing. So, one, you're calling to Netflix to pull something off the air or off the streaming platform. And A, no one's going to listen to you, but also B, do you realize most of the people that wanted to watch this when it was a thing... Watched it a year ago. Like, you've taken a good bit of a pause to be angry about something. And, and full, full, um, full disclosure for me, I have actually watched the entire series. My teenage daughter and I had great conversations talking about suicide and talking about uh, the life of teenagers as walking through the series. And, uh, one thing that we, um, I've noticed, I've noticed in working in a Christian ministry over the years. And in situations just like this, a lot of times Christian parents are not very present. I know it's an oversimplification of what I'm saying, but I'll even tell you a story of this. This is many moons ago, but I'd had a, I was a youth pastor and I had a father come in. He was so upset, not with me, <laughs> probably eventually maybe, but not with me at the moment. He tells me You have to talk to my son. You have to talk to my son. He's not respecting me. And I said, what happened? And he said, we got into an argument. He told me to F off. And I was like, well, what did you tell him? He's like, I didn't say anything. Oh, and again, this is what's running through my head. Not really what I'm telling him because I'm not stupid. You know, what I would have honestly wanted to tell him simply this. Really, you're having this engaged conversation with your son. Uh, He shows you disrespect, and you don't engage with it, and you just let him march off within it. Um, Great. Kudos to you. Number one parenting job there. Uh, Someone should give you an award. No, no. Uh, This father wanted me to simply deal with and parent his son. I was a youth pastor who saw his son maybe two hours a week. Whereas he was a father that lived in the home of the son, that was the father of the son, the parent, one of the parental units that was took a role long term in rearing and raising up this young man. But no, me, this guy that kind of worked on the sidelines is in charge of uh, parenting and also the entire spiritual life of his church. (laughs) And so now in a similar situation, (laughs) we don't want to have conversations with our kids. So we need to tell Netflix to pull stuff off because, yeah. And also, really, really, if you're trying to look over the landscape of things that teens consume this story is the most troubling? I'm pretty sure it's not. So then my answer in stories like this, or to fools that are part of the American Family Association, you know what? I'm going to give you some advice as, as a person that follows Jesus, as a person that's a pastor, and a person that's a father. Father of four, so I've had plenty of chances to screw up and figure things out. Still don't have it all figured out, but say this. Have conversations with your children. See these things as teaching opportunities, not as opportunities for you to need to, like, somehow insulate your kids from the world around them, not opportunities for you to somehow, like, try to, like, put your fingers in their ears and cover their eyes up and hope somehow Jesus is going to fix it all because guess what? If you believe in God... If you believe God is the God of the universe and you believe in all of this stuff, then you have a responsibility as a parent. This isn't something that you can somehow, like, pray the world away from your child. No, you have a responsibility as a parent. And organizations like the American Family Association are just stupid dolts when it comes to these kind of things. Because seriously... I mean, for me, it was actually a great opportunity to have conversations with my kids after watching through this. And also, I didn't find it objectionable in the way that they handled the storylines uh, as they move through this. And yes, I know su- suicide is problematic, and yes, we do not need to glorify suicide, but you know the greatest thing about it is being able to have conversations with your kids about suicide and depression and things along that nature. The answer isn't simply telling Netflix to pull stuff off, because really, like let's just think about this in all of the catalog that Netflix has this one thing has rankled your ire American Family Association this this is the thing that has led to the tipping point really because I'm pretty sure, A, you haven't watched it, and B, you're just reading news stories that somehow have cropped into your consciousness by accident because, again, you're not engaged with the world around you. So My answer to you is, or as I would uh, vote on something on Netflix, and right now, I'd give you a thumbs down because this is plain stupid, and it's escapism, and it's not taking responsibility over being a parent. Yeah. Yeah, you guys suck. And you know who else sucks? Yes, Michael Bowman. He's an Oregon man who's refusing to pay his taxes based on his religious beliefs about abortion. And as as he puts it, a woman has the right to choose, not in most states nowadays, that's my aside, a woman has the right to choose, but apparently the prosecutors feel, I do not. So, yes, Michael Bowman is refusing to pay uh, to actually file taxes or pay income tax since 1999 because he doesn't want his tax dollars to go towards abortions. He's claiming it's his religious right to be able to do that. Because apparently, religiously, the act of abortion, in his mind, with whatever small dollars of his tax dollars are going towards, Those are horrendous. But the wars we've waged over people, all that get killed (laughs) with the collateral damage of our wars, that's not bothering you? That's not bothering you? Really? Really? And I love it also when we have people that try to use religion to justify things that I'm honestly pretty sure have nothing to do with his religious conviction. I mean, seriously, we've got tax day coming up in a couple days. Who would love to not pay taxes? Everyone. And as Bowman says, I'm not a tax protester. I love my country. I have a duty to my country, but I have a duty to my conscience which he's also not paying attention to the fact that there's already federal laws that prohibit the use of federal funds to pay for abortions, except in cases of rape incest or to save a woman's life. So, so really, what is this, you dear patriot? Finding reasons to not pay taxes and using your faith to justify that because even, even Jesus, who is not really a fan of the empire, Said, give Caesar what's his, give God what's his. And for any of those that, sorry to equate love of God and love of country, um, one of those things that people don't always translate well from the Bible, but the fact when Jesus says he's the son of God, that was a direct affront. That was a direct affront against Rome because the Romans believed Caesar was God. And that was like the commonplace knowledge. Caesar is God. He is our God. And for Jesus to say, no, no, I'm the son of God. (laughs) Yes, that was total insurgency. And for the early church to also say Jesus is Lord was complete insurgency and um, and complete rebellion against the kingdom, the kingdom of Rome. Sorry, back to Bowman's story here, where initially the judges ruled that what he was doing was not amount to tax evasion. but. He still faces four counts of willful tax failure to file tax returns, which are also misdemeanors. So, yay? I don't know. I'm just tired of using, uh, Christians using issues against the government to justify their own personal, it's not beliefs. It's not beliefs. Because literally, this dude Has not paid taxes since 1999, and don't tell me he's not benefiting off of that. Don't tell me he's not benefiting off of this, but he's using some something, some sort of a side belief here that oh, I can't pay taxes because it depends upon my religious beliefs. See, the problem with stories like this is there's this is going to like lead to other people. I mean, actually, my assumption is he's going to eventually have to pay his back taxes. But in all honesty, when Christians use and set precedents like this against the government, it opens doors to all sorts of craziness and it does nothing good in the end. I know he feels like he's standing here on some moral high ground. I'm standing for my beliefs. <laughs> You're just not paying taxes, dude. So just shut up and pay your back taxes. And lastly, in our rundown, this this is an article that popped out to me when I was kind of looking through oh the interwebs. And it's called, Faith-Based Movies Are Exploding in Hollywood and Changing Lives. If you don't understand, when I run into this whole Uh, different motif of how I'm speaking. Those are kind of air quotes because I don't really do those. So faith-based movies are exploding, air quotes, in Hollywood and changing lives. And this is uh, (laughs) uh, an article by Dr. Jerry Newcomb from Truth in Action Ministries. I just love titles like that. Truth in Action because otherwise, without action, truth is not truthy enough. And so, yes, so he's going on to, Lord, look what's happening. Look in the movie theaters. There are Christians going to watch movies. Movie theaters are cashing in as Hollywood is turning to God. Which, again, like I'd mentioned in the first article, Christians are out of sync and they're out of touch, and they'll applaud things like this. And guess what? Hollywood's not cashing in on Christianity. Gonna let you in on a tiny little secret about that. They're not. And when it comes to Christian films, which I've talked about endlessly in other podcasts. And other episodes of the show. Christian values. This, this is what gets me about all of this where people are, like, claiming these things as a victory for the kingdom. You know what? Even if it's a Christian movie studio, they are trying to make money. That's what any business would do. They want to make money first and foremost. And then if we happen to make money and spread the word of God in our own little sanitized version of the world, great! No, they're businesses first and foremost. And and I will give it like that the 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 film recently I can only imagine at least last time I checked it's probably more than that now had made over seventy million dollars. Uh, God's not dead. A light in the darkness is still looking like it's dead uh, because no, it did not make a blip. And uh, you know I'm worried now. God's not dead. Three's not doing well. What is the new Avengers movie? What's What does that say for it? It says nothing for it, because nobody really cares about the God's Not Dad movies. And even with I Can Only Imagine, uh, I knew many Christians, and I would see it on social media, that were rallying behind this movie. And if, if people don't know what this is, I Can Only Imagine was a cheesy Christian love ballad of self-masturbatory about the end of, I don't know. I Can Only Imagine... So yes, it was. It was almost like one of those like high school or high school or middle school like songs that you have slow dance, but they're like everyone get out on the floor. It's time to slow dance with Jesus. It it, it was one of those kind of songs, and so again they made this movie about the backstory of the song because that song has made such a dent in historical Christianity, which it hasn't, and. Yeah, I knew lots of groups that were rallying to, to get all the Christians in their community out to watch this. And see, here, here's my issue with all of this. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Christian film is generally meant to simply just serve Christians. They're films for people to go and watch things they already believe, nod their heads, and feel inspired by their uh, their own selves? I'm not really sure. That's when I say the word and I know <laughs> if you're a Christian listening to this, you don't like me hearing, hearing me say this word. self-masturbatory. You're simply just going to please yourself. You are pleasuring yourself by watching a movie that makes you feel warm and fuzzy about your faith. And look, our faith is on a screen in a movie theater. And if it's on a regal cinema, it means my faith is real and alive. And there's others that feel like me. I'm not alone. But in all honesty, uh, we have these films that come out where Christians, like they, you know, they hit the war drums and people go out to watch these movies. But the problem with it is it's mainly Christians going out to watch movies that are meant to inspire Christians. And they feel excited because they say this is their new form of evangelism, the way to share the gospel, the way to share Christ with people on screens everywhere. But in all honesty, it's a cop-out. For you to invite a friend to go watch a movie is not on the same level of you actually sharing why God matters to you in your life in a real and authentic way. But most Christians don't want to do that because... It gets icky. It gets icky if I start sharing my faith because I really don't understand my faith and I understand my faith through you know, certain uh, cardboard rules and laws and I don't really know if you ask me too many questions. I get flustered about it. So I'd rather you not ask me questions. Just let the movie answer all of your questions because I'm pretty sure this is what Jesus intended when he started Christianity many moons ago was that disciples, you guys that are going out and being martyred and dying for your faith. Don't worry. Someday they're going to invent this thing. You're not going to understand me right now. I'm speaking prophetically. It's called a moving picture. It's a movie. It's on a screen. And eventually after that, that technology has been perfected for entertainment of the masses, people will make very subpar versions of that. So you can feel good about your faith And not have to witness to people. And not have to actually live out the tenets of being a Christian. Uh, But you can just tell people, you know, I don't know how to answer these questions, but go watch this movie. It's wonderful. It's called I Can Only Imagine. So, yes. So, on speaking about Christian delusion. What? We've never done that on the show. I'm sorry. I'm moving off the script. (laughs) No. But seriously. What led me to our main topic today was a news article. And and here's what I do, just just for you to understand me, not that you really want to, some may, some may just say heretic and turn off. But I do, for, for me and how I consume my news, I actually, every day, I sit down and read my news from all different news sources, from anything from Huffington Post on one side to Breitbart on the other side because I want to understand what's going on. I genuinely understand this because I don't want to be caught in an echo chamber the thing that I actually <laughs> condemn people of. I really want to make sure I'm not too hypocritical about that. A little hypocritical is fun every once in a while, but not too hypocritical. So I, you know, I, I, I simply do that. I read through many different news sources and, and really try to think through like what is the author saying and what is the truth behind all of this. And I found this nugget found this nugget in a place you wouldn't expect. Fox News. They had an article a couple days ago, and they're literally giving space on this, on their main site, not like on the sidebar, not like buried somewhere. No, no, no. On the main area, because they are all about the news. And it's entitled this, Biblical Prophecy Claims the Rapture is Coming, April 23rd numerologist says and as I began to do this and we'll unpack, we'll unpack the article and what they're talking about but what really started to stir within me was this thing and I haven't talked about this for a while but it's one of these things that, that, that has bothered me my entire life as a Christian as a follower of Jesus is this obsession with the end times this idea that we're like oh the world's gonna end I can't wait when when will it be? I mean, it's like we're waiting for like the publishers clearinghouse guy to show up on our door with a large cardboard check and tell you you won. But Christians are are waiting for that time where something happens. They're like you're dead. Yeah, that thing. And and there's a weird, dirty psychology behind Christians' obsession with end times. There really is. And and I'm not even speaking about this simply from. A standpoint of cultural Christianity. I'm also talking about this from someone who's worked within the church, who's been to seminary, who's, yeah, who's been around. And yeah, it's there. It is totally there. Now, I will give you this disclaimer. There is a chance I'm a complete heretic. There's a chance I'm completely wrong. And as I'm mocking this right now, talking about the fact that the world may end, that Jesus may come back, and it's all going to blow up and burn to hell, that I'm wrong. And this message may be leading the sheep astray because you never know when it's going to happen. Sorry, just a little bit of rapture humor End times humor We're not really off the air We're not dead You're still alive And life continues on So let's continue to talk (laughs) About that idea I'm sorry if I scared people I don't want like a world of the worlds Or Orson Welles issue Where people are like, oh no, the rapture's happened He's off the air Ah." I really know that My listeners are smart enough to know that I'm just Full of crap so in the article on Fox News, they're quoting David Mead, which you may be asking yourselves, who the hell is David Mead? We'll get to that in a moment. And uh, I'll quote them. David Mead tells the UK Express newspaper that on April 23rd, the sun and the mood will be in Virgo, as will Jupiter, which represents the Messiah. You guys hear this? You guys are hearing this? This is real stuff. Oh my God. (laughs) I don't even really know what that means. But the article continues. For a certain branch of evangelical Christianity, Revelations 12, one through two, describes the beginning of what is known as the rapture and the second coming of Christ. The passage reads, and a great sign appeared in the heaven and a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her crown uh, of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in the birth pains of giving birth. Passage in the woman is representing Virgo. And according to me, the alignment represents the lion of, of the tribe of Judah, marking the rapture. The belief that Christ will bring the faithful into paradise prior to a period of tribulation on earth. And if we can talk about anything being a tribulation on earth, you guys are reeling realize now I'm end quoting here <laughs> would be living in Trump's America. Oh, if you want to believe in end times theology, I'll just tell you it, hell. It feels like the end times because we're living in the crazy land. We're living in the upside down world. We're living in the bizarre world under Trump. So maybe, 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 But also the article continues Because this is only going to add credibility To the article Mead says he believes in the so-called Planet X which is known as Nibiru And that planet Will appear above the sky on the April date causing volcanic eruptions Tsunamis and earthquakes I do want to Note here that NASA has repeatedly said (laughs) Planet X is a hoax so, if I'm wrong here, folks, <laughs> it's on me. It's on me. My snark and my sarcasm, it's on me, and I'll take that. I, it's, you know, I'm fine with that. So, the larger question, beyond the fact of why, Fox News, are you reporting on this? Why? Let's do a little dive into David Mead. And and for those of you that feel like we're meandering, we're not. We're meandering-ish with a purpose. Uh, we'll go through Mead, and then we want to talk about Christianity's obsession with end times and what are the roots of it and why it's bad. Why it's B A D bad. So, David Mead is an end times conspiracy theorist, and I'm not even sure if it's actually his real name because it sounds like he's drinking a little bit of Mead when he's talking about this. And his whole thing, And as he claims who he is, is that he is a Christian numerologist, which that should be code for anyone. When anyone tells you I'm into Christian numerology, that should just mean that you're batch crazy. You're just you're nutters. You're you're just yeah, you're you're off the reservation already, because if anything has that, that we can realize you can find connections in anything, I, I I could probably read through the Harry Potter series and figure out when the end of the world is gonna happen if I was using a broken system and also wanted to be a end times numerologist. I mean, I I, I really just feel like, yeah. So so folks like him and, and FYI, this isn't the first time that he has said that the end is gonna happen. So again. With people being like you know scientific and into astrology and into numerology, uh, when you begin to talk about stuff and you say, "Oh, definitively, it's going to end now," and it doesn't, and you're like, "Oh, well, no, 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 hold it, sorry, 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 miscalculation, it's going to end now," and so whatever Um, within that, and so yes, so first and foremost, he's he's not necessarily stable, or he's just trying to sell books, which actually honestly, I could totally respect that more, like if he's just a croc and he's trying to sell books, i like, okay, I get what you're doing I get that, but no, instead of sending Christians into some sort of a faith-based fervor and he's really just wanting to make money off I mean, you know, honestly, like, you know, Joel Osteen has made a career out of doing this, just being able to tell people stuff to make money, and at least I get, I'm not saying I respect it I, I at least say I get that But being full on the crazy horse and saying it's all going to end like this, that begins, for at least me, to sound a little problematic, and then a major news source, or to some, the only news source as Fox News reporting on this and not really being snarky with it, also calls into... A bit their credibility But I want to give you guys Before we hop into this I want to give you guys A little rundown Of what I call The end times predictors And just a side note As I'm going through the history And this is going to be an abbreviated history Because we don't got time for this But just giving you an idea Of what it looks like These are the history of people that has been predicting The end of the world Spoiler They don't get it right. So here's your abbreviated history of people declaring when the end times are going to happen. 1874. A Seventh-day Adventist group called the Millirets predicted the second coming of Christ would be in 1874. And then, let's flash forward. Wilbur Glenn Beliva announced the world is going to end on in September 1939. Hey, Wilmer, didn't happen. Okay, so we have, flash forward, Dorothy Martin claims that we were going to be destroyed by a UFO on December 21st, 1954. Psychic Gene Dixon, hey, 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 it's Gene, predicted February 4th, 1962. She was a little off. And then let's get, to, let's get to some of our faves, our babies. Pat Robertson said in 1976, the end of the world was going to happen in October and November of 1982. I like how he gave himself wiggle room there. So points for that, points for that. But FYI, we're in 2018. So Pat, you missed the mark there. Just a scoach. Hal Lindsey, also Crackpot Christian said the rapture would take Place in 1987 Didn't happen Didn't happen and even the Folks that like to hearken back to the days Of good old Nostradamus Had said that around 1999 The world would come to an end But prince proved Him wrong and we've seen This happen again and again and guess What guess what guess what even Pat Robertson said maybe he was a little off in his calculations, but in his 1990 book, The New Millennium, said April 29th, 2007, was going to be it. Like, I missed it before, but this is definitely, totally, definitely it. And Pat was wrong. And it continues on and on and on and it's just so much fun and if you want to join in on some of the fun guess what there is a website for that i'm not joking and i wish i was i wish this was done by the babylon beer the onion but it's actually <laughs> It's called, you can look it up www.raptureready.com i like how they get directly to the point and even in their purpose statement uh, they say this. The rapture index has two functions. One is to factor together a number of related end times components into a cohesive indicator. Cohesive, mind you. Uh, and the other is to standardize those components to eliminate the wide variance that currently exist in prophecy reporting. <laughs> prophecy reporting? I mean, what? Um, the rapture index is by no means... A mean to predict the rapture. However, the index is designed to measure a type of activity that could act as a precursor to the rapture. They're hedging their bets here. And they go on to say, you could say the rapture index is the Dow Jones Industrial average of the end times activity, but I think it would be better if you've used it as a (laughs) prophetic speedometer. The higher the number, the faster we're moving towards the occurrence of the pre-tribulation rapture. Don't worry. If you don't know what words like pre-tribulation means, we'll get to that. So on their index, right now, right now, which I don't even completely know how to read this because, again, I don't know the Dow Jones, and it doesn't really, you know, maybe since I don't know the Dow Jones and how to read it very well and stocks and the markets and everything, I don't know how to read the rapture index completely. But... For everyone to know, this has literally been updated on April 16th, 2018. So this is this is the... I'm giving you the best, the choice cut of information. So their number one part of the rapture index, which false Christs, uh, it gives you a three. The occult uh, is at a number three. Satanism is somehow between a three and a one, is what they're telling you. And they go on to list like... <laughs> Inflation, interest rates, the economy Oil supply and price Because I'm pretty sure they were talking about the oil supply in the Bible Um, But what I love I love, I love, I love how they do this So um, They have this thing uh, Towards the bottom So comments on active categories And apparently Satanism Satan has been downgraded Due to lack of activity so the satanism category has dropped because apparently Satan is getting a little lazy. What's up with you Satan? Why are you so lazy? So really all I can say is that's a thing. And yeah, so let's hop into this. Let's let's kind of talk through the a little kind of mishmash overview 101 of Christianity's obsession with the end times. Or like, I would say like, I I honestly feel like the way this works for folks that, that are triggered by end time stuff. This is really like end times porn. So, uh, if this podcast and this broadcast causes you to sin, I'm so sorry, but just realize you, you've been warned. Like at this point, I'm warning you right now. That's your thing. That's your kink. You've been warned. The blood or the other substances are on your hands and not mine. So it was a bit of a primer. And this isn't a guy. I know. I mention, like, the Franklin Grahams of the world a lot on this uh, show here. But this is a guy that actually I, sh- I should mention more. Because after being in conservative churches and actually having his videos shown during church services, I should, I don't know if some of it's like a, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, (laughs) but John MacArthur, if you don't know who he is, you shouldn't Google him because he's as cuddly as a porcupine on acid. Who has STDs I'm not even I don't even know how to like Completely encapsulate what John MacArthur is like if, if you could like pour hate And White privilege into a human It would be him Or Yeah I don't even want to spend more time on this But so yes On, on yeah So when speaking about end times John MacArthur who is a Who is a, a voice for conservatism a, a, a very big and well respected, however you want to take that word, uh, voice in conservatism. And so John MacArthur had said this. And so this is going to be our little primer for End Times Talk. He said this The environment, uh, the, uh, sorry, the environmental movement is consumed with trying to preserve the planet forever. But we know that isn't God's plan. The earth we inhabit is not a permanent planet. And as a slide aside, like if you can kind of know like the, uh, his kind of general cadence is that of. if you ever seen like those, even though we, most of us don't speak German, how like Hitler would talk, whatever that was, um, that kind of a cadence, he's closer to that cadence. And so again, I'm reading this in a way that I can simply just read this. So he continues uh, it, it is frankly, a disposable planet. It is going to have a very short life. It's been around 6,000 years or so, that's all. And it may last a few thousand more, and the Lord is going to destroy it. I've told environmentalists that if they think that humanity is wrecking the planet, wait until they see what Jesus does. This earth has never intended to be a permanent planet, it is not eternal. We do not have to worry about being around tens of thousands or millions of years from now because God is going to create a new heaven and earth. So to give you guys, and that, that, that's his viewpoint, which, which, is, which is actually, it, it's, fairly, it's fairly in line with, with most conservative viewpoints uh, when we begin to talk about end times, rapture, BS, and all the other kind of stuff. Eschatology, if you want to get uh, theological in speaking. So when we talk about this, I, his, his mindset is, is, is fairly cognizant with all of that, that the earth is disposable, that it's going to go away and that Jesus is somehow going to come down and blow it all up independence day style and take the good ones out and leave the other ones to burn in the aftermath. And then go to hell because that's how god works. And we say god's a loving god, he's only god that loves people that he loves. that's their theology. not standing behind that at all. but that is that is some of that idea that so that that what what ends up happening is depending upon how you choose to read, especially theologically the book of revelation and and again daniel and a few other books sprinkle sprinkling things here and there. what what but really focusing more on, on revelation. And and one of the main flaws that I've had within how you read scripture is that they tend to cherry pick or have nugget theology. They, they pull nuggets out because as you look at each book of scripture, they're, they're written in different literary motifs. And the book of revelation is no different than a literary motif. And to read some of revelation as literal and some as more painting a metaphor or a picture or with more flowery wording. See, you can't necessarily like do that. You can't dance between two of those. Like, oh, this part is literal. This part is more just kind of, you know, philosophical. This is literal. This is not. You you, you can't do that but that doesn't stop conservatives from doing that just thing. And when they do that, what they do is they tend to go through and henpeck through uh, the book of Revelation where God, uh, or a revelation that John had. And as John is talking through this, he's speaking through many, many deep issues here. But in in order to justify many theological stances, what people will do is they'll take the parts they want and claim that, Absolute and other parts they'll say, Well, he's kind of just painting a metaphorical picture here, but that's not how it works. Like, you don't read through a poem and say, Oh, this part is absolutely scientific, and this part is not that 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 messes with the idea of literary genre and how people write. Um, it does, it does, it does, and we're not like in the world where you can kind of do uh to comic books like what Daredevil did was like break the fourth wall where there's comic book stuff going on here and then not Daredevil, uh, Deadpool, where Deadpool does this and where, you know, Deadpool speaks to the audience at times and then it engages back with what's going on here. And so, yeah. So I don't even know why I brought up Deadpool. But besides the fact that Deadpool always amuses me. But when we begin to, like, descend into this, and I'm going to give you um, some other stuff, which, which will lead us to other stuff. And again, I'm going to read to you from the Gospel Coalition, this is like the John Pipers, this is like the this is a certain ilk of Christianity, and this is their words, not mine, their words not mine, and it's their words kind of justifying this idea of this rapture, this rapture idea that somehow the world's going to get to a place where it is so bad, and God's like, I can't take it anymore. This is the worst I've ever seen and depending upon how you shake down the, the little particulars or specifics of the end times, uh, God will say, I'm going to rapture, which is take up the good people mysteriously and then rain judgment for a certain period of time, which is also disputed in those circles that dispute those things. And then eventually the world will end and then heaven and earth will kind of become one, even though how do you make heaven and earth become one after you've already destroyed the earth? Again, it's a flaw in logic. But again, if you want to hear flawed logic, let's listen to the gospel collation. Um, and so this is in a section they had here um, on will Christians be left behind? And the subsection, the subheading is a brief history of the secret rapture, which always is just fun when you say secret rapture. So they say this, uh, the doctrine of the secret rapture emerged during the 19th century through the teachings of John Nelson Darby. Darby was one of the early leaders of the Plymouth Brethren movement, and his teachings became known as dispensationalism. Darby's dispensationalism distinguished sharply between Israel and the church. The former was earthly, he believed, and the latter heavenly. God had two distinct peoples and a separate plan for each. Thus Darby understood the Old Testament prophecies as applying to Israel as the earthly people of God. Rather than the quote-unquote spiritualizing such prophecies, he expected a literal fulfillment of God's promises to the literal Israel. Side note, you see why Christians get crazy about the nation-state of Israel? And side note. So when According to the dispensationalist thought, uh, would God fulfill his prophecies to Israel during the millennium after the second coming? So in order for God to resume these plans for Israel, Darby believed God would first need to remove the church from the earth. Hence arose a need for a secret rapture. Darby had in effect proposed something new, a two-stage return of Jesus. Jesus would first come to rapture, and I make that sound, it means, like, pluck them, leave, get out of here, you're going to heaven. It's like, you know, the Christians have the VIP tour of leaving out here. And then return again in visible glory darby's views spread rapidly especially in the united states this the dispensationalist system including the secret rapture was disseminated through prophecy conferences and received support from evangelists yes. <laughs> evangelists like d.l moody and bill sunday by far the most important boost for darby's teachings however came from the Schofield Reference Bible. Schofield's work became the English standard for fundamentalists. Bible-believing Christians in the early 20th century and the process exposed thousands of readers to the secret rapture through his dispensational information study notes. The secret rapture doctrine uh, continued to gain steam in the latter half of the 20th century and the advent of the modern Israel in 1948. Seemed a clear sign that God was restarting his plans for Israel. The rapture must be close! Books like Hal Lindsay's The Great, The Late Great Planet Earth, and movie and movies like A Thief in the Night further popularized the dispensationalist teaching. And then there are the left-behind movies which have sold millions of copies and captured the imaginations of a new generation. The rise and spread of the secret rapture teaching is a remarkable story. In Just a century and a half, a previously unknown doctrine has become cent- a central eschatological hope for millions. So again, what I want to actually say about this is which, is, which is, I love that they pointed this out. In just a century and a half, this idea this, this, this loving, this, this desiring for the end times Because, again, when the world's going to hell We have the secret rapture Has only been around for, like, a century and a half So when people like to say, like, oh, this is totally a part of Christianity Oh, this has, like, been there from the beginning No, no, no Century and a half and it actually took even more steam with the rise of the Pentecostal and charismatic movement. So it was a thing, and then it became a bigger thing. And then it became kind of a widespread and certain evangelical senses theme thing. And so there is your kind of history. And if you don't know the Left Behind series, I totally don't recommend reading the books or watching the movies. Unless you've got a thing for Kirk Cameron and Nick Cage, which I do in not the right way. So if anyone wants to watch the Nick Cage uh, series, not series, single film, because again, this is a sad state of American Christianity. Nick Cage only gets one film and Kirk Cameron gets many more. What is wrong with the world? We need a rapture now! Justice for Nick! So I say all of that to say this. The Christians... Being obsessed with the end of the world and end times is actually something, which they would hate to hear, that would uh, you could say would be very pagan because many other cultures with many other belief systems have all had this idea that the end is going to happen. It's not just you. And so a lot of this ends up being something that is well within the cultural consciousness. But ultimately, the problem with obsession with the end times and focusing on all of this what it simply does is this. It pulls you out of your reality. It pulls you out of the world where you're at. It pulls you out of engaging with the things that are around you and the things that matter right now. And it actually harkens your view to the afterlife. It's escapism in its finest. And that is a problem because the Christianity of Jesus was always dialed in, always had his fingers dirty in the now and the consciousness of what's going on now. If Jesus' words don't make sense in the now, they don't make sense at all. Jesus didn't come to die that you could go float off into eternity. That's not what Jesus was about. It was about ushering in The kingdom of God now, ushering in this new ethic, this new way of life, this new way of treating people, this new way of loving people, this new way of being compassionate, this new way of of having grace towards others. It was meant for now. And when we continue just to think that, oh, everything will be fine once we're all dead, because that doesn't sound sexy, right? What? Everything's going to be cool once we're dead. That's kind of messed up theology. That's theology of a God that isn't here and now. A God that doesn't care about here and now. A God that doesn't care about you and what's going on right now. A God that doesn't care about the atrocities that are happening now. That's a God that just says, Nah, I kind of came here, I checked out a little bit, and, uh, you know, I'll catch you guys in the flippity-flop. That's not a God that I want to follow. And if Jesus only came so we could eventually be raptured out of here and say, eff it to everything... That's not a Jesus I want to follow. So for those that get obsessed with the end times and saying the earth doesn't matter, just piss off earth. It's not God's creation or anything. Oh, wait, it is. How do I I rectify my theology? The earth is God's and everything in it. God created the earth, but we want to burn it now. So that's part of end times theology. You have to have it both ways, folks. Either God made the earth Either God made people in his own image. And if God made people in his own image, that means people are meant to be respected and given dignity and treated in a way that is humane. And the same thing with the earth. God made the earth. The earth isn't meant here to burn. The earth is something that we were supposed to tend to and continue to tend to. So if Christianity has ignored those two things, Christianity isn't Christianity anymore. And it's sad. Sad. Hashtag sad. But it moves us to a place where our faith has nothing to do with reality. And a faith that has nothing to do with reality is simply just escapism. You might as well just go read novels or books or descend into Netflix. Just don't watch 13 Reasons Why. But the faith that I understand, the faith that keeps me coming back to Jesus and his teachings The faith that makes me believe that God exists still in this world says that we are called to be dialed in now, that we're called to care for the earth now, we're called to care for people that are hurting now, that we are called to care about the issues when people are being marginalized and persecuted and hurt right now, irregardless if they believe what we believe. We are called to be engaged, and we are called to love our neighbor, we are called to love our enemy, and we are called to make a difference. And if that isn't part of your Christianity, I'm not sure what you're part of anymore. But that's all the time I've got this hour. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, As we end this broadcast, just a reminder, you can catch us on podcast at www.snarkyfaith.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. And that's all I've got this week. And I send you off in grace
0: and peace and holy snark. I'm out of here. WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. Lumen, a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question-askers, doubters, and skeptics, is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all of life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be a better day than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com.